Chapter 3. Demonstrating Purpose. In the previous chapter, or the previous episode, I explored whether people felt we were becoming more purpose-driven, both as individuals and as businesses. And by and large, the broad consensus was yes, in spite of all of the barriers that we identified. We ended that chapter, however, on one major question. What does it mean to demonstrate purpose? How do businesses and individuals genuinely demonstrate that they're purpose-driven? Is it performative to talk about purpose and impact? Or is it simply raising awareness and educating people? Or is it all just purpose-washing, greenwashing? As always, it's worthwhile to start with a definition of what demonstrating purpose means. And in the context of the conversations that I've had, there were two groups of conversations. First, how to measure the impact created by a purpose-driven organization, especially when their purpose is related to social outcomes. And secondly, how that purpose is communicated to customers and stakeholders in a manner that is authentic and genuine. So let's first talk about measuring purpose. So first, it goes without saying that measurement depends on the context of the business or organization, its purpose, and whether the types of outcomes it wants to achieve are hard or quantitative or soft, qualitative. So hard measures are, you know, we redirect X million dollars or X percentage of money to a cause or we create Y number of jobs. And these ones are comparatively easier to capture and report on and the easiest for people to understand. This is why initiatives such as Pledge 1% or social enterprise models that say we'll donate 50% of profit are just simple examples of this. However, reporting on quantitative results does not necessarily paint the entire picture. So for example, it can be relatively easy to report that, say, $50 million was used to improve access to water in developing nations. But how do we ascertain if this actually improved the lives of those communities? And this is a tough question that requires significantly more effort to answer. So for example, on the topic of water intervention, there are now several case studies on the negative impact of these projects. One of the most highly publicized ones was the roundabout play pump. This is where these merry-go-rounds were installed as playground equipment in African communities. And the idea was that children playing on these could then pump water for the community. But unfortunately, this ended up creating more problems for those communities, such as when, well, when children weren't that interested in playing on it, they weren't getting water. And so as a result, there were forced play schedules when water ran low. And so think about that. Children had to be forced to go out there and push this playground, this merry-go-round around in order to get water. And it's not just the children. If they didn't want to do it, then the women in those communities were often tasked with jumping on this merry-go-round. Or the mass felling of wells in Bangladesh in the 1970s, where I think millions of wells were, were, were dug in Bangladesh to improve water access which then led to a mass arsenic poisoning of millions of people, an issue 
that still continues to persist to today. Basically, the wells were not dug deep enough and the water that was at a shallower uh, depth contained arsenic. As an example, closer to home, to Australia, many professional service businesses focus on achieving diversity and inclusion as part of their purpose. However, how is diversity quantified? Along what metrics? What denotes success? And again, just because it's measured, does that mean it's effective? And on this topic, one respondent who has a lot of experience with diversity wondered whether this is why sometimes businesses often focus on hiring diversity inclusion officers, because that as a metric was easier to measure and to report on. And of course, no shade to anyone who works in that space. It's just the measurement of the impact was sometimes focused around that hiring mechanism than it is on the actual impact. When I explored these questions with other interviewees, there were a range of different perspectives. There were some who felt that we needed a consistent method of quantifying impact in order to have a shared language for comparison, measurement, communication, and to demonstrate some form of social return on investment. Uh, one organization, such as the Australian Social Value Bank, the ASVB, was set up to develop a quantifiable set of social measures for this purpose. Other respondents acknowledged the inherent issues with qualitative reporting that we described earlier, but felt that it was still important to start somewhere. That being focused on accurate measurement could actually distract from the energy that's better directed towards action, especially where there may be diminishing returns in terms of effort invested versus precision of results. Being too focused on quantitative outcomes can also create challenges in terms of expectation management by the broader community and stakeholders. So there might be people who feel that the results aren't good enough, right, through to people who were cynical of the reporting of any sort of results, considering any sort of reporting to be performative in nature. And in listening to all of these perspectives from interviewees, I'm reminded of Goodhart's Law, which is an economic concept, which states, when a feature of the economy is picked as an indicator of the economy, then it inexorably ceases to function as that indicator because people start to game it. And I think this is in part why the focus on profit drives businesses to undertake actions that increase profit at all cost. And so, again, whilst Goodhart was describing the economy through this example, it does raise valid questions about how we think about demonstrating purpose and whether focusing on measuring purpose helps or hinders progress. Such as the Bangladesh well felling um, debacle, uh, sorry, the, the well felling issue that I described earlier. Or a more recent example that springs to mind is the Volkswagen emission scandal, where engineers gamed the emissions output of their diesel vehicles that only fired during testing for emissions to achieve a lower emissions rating. In other words, the diesel vehicles were pretty bad emitters of pollution 
except when they were being specifically tested for emissions and they it would it would output lower emissions so that was an example of someone gaming the measurement without actually you know doing the doing the actual meaningful work so i'll, I'll leave this measurement section with one final thought provoking perspective that was shared with me which is that you know, just as we might expect organizations to pivot on their strategies and to be able to learn from business failures, the respondent wondered whether or not we should allow organizations to pivot on their purpose, on what they measure, how they measure, how they do all of these, these things that they want to be able to do, whether quantitative or qualitative, because it can be just hard. It's hard to be able to determine what that purpose is how it's measured, how it's quantified, how it's assessed. And if you know a business sets out to try and achieve an impact and they measure and they realize that it's not working, then they should be allowed to change that as opposed to saying, oh no, they need to be you know shut down or they were evil or whatever that might be. So the second component of demonstrating purpose lies within the communication and marketing of the organization's purpose and cause to audiences, which is sometimes referred to as cause marketing. So this topic also inspired quite a bit of debate within respondents, and it fundamentally boils down to whether cause marketing is considered performative or genuine in terms of education and raising awareness. And so just to give a simple example of course marketing, it might be, you know, we raise this amount of money for this cause. Um, it might be, this is how this is how we demonstrate our social impact or environmental benefit to the broader community. So that's, that's sort of course marketing. And then result of that is that it, you know, it builds reputation, it builds the brand, it might even inspire greater business. Respondents who were more cynical of course marketing felt that it it could allow businesses to talk the talk but not walk the walk or at least they're not perceived to be walking the walk especially because all businesses can kind of be purpose driven to some extent so for example uh, using the the locksmith as an, as an example they sell locks but their purpose could be promoted as providing people with security and peace of mind a bank manages money, but their purpose is to provide financial security and help people build intergenerational wealth. So this, I mean, I mean, these are very crude examples, but it's just a way of positioning and branding that um, could present any business to be about cause or purpose or, or doing good. And this can be an issue, especially on social media, where businesses and individuals alike can kind of rally very quickly behind a hashtag to be seen as being supportive, but then don't undertake any real actions or don't necessarily understand the purpose they're supporting. On the flip side, for respondents who were supportive of course marketing, they saw it as a necessary practice that all businesses have to rely to some extent on marketing so that customers understand what it is that they support and care for. So cause marketing in this context wasn't really seen as sales and advertising. It really was an, a valid way of educating an audience and raising awareness, especially where there is measurable impact and data available. So done effectively, this can create huge movements that inspire huge amounts of mobilization and action, such as the ALS Ice Bucket Challenge or Movember. 
One respondent felt that course marketing can be a really valid pathway for businesses to start their journey towards becoming purpose-driven, even if it may be performative to begin with, because it is still a starting point. And I thought this was particularly interesting observation, as it reminds me of that practice where sometimes people might post a personal commitment on social media to say, oh, I'm going to lose this amount of weight. Now, they haven't actually achieved that goal, but that public accountability is used to help and spur change. So it's a way of starting somewhere. So then here we're going to talk back again about CSR, corporate social responsibility, and whether social CSR is a demonstration of purpose or not. So a little bit of history. CSR was coined in 1953 by Howard Bowen in his book, Social Responsibilities of the Businessman. A concept, and this really came into vogue in the 70s and 80s and was highly regarded by the Reagan presidency in the, in the States. Interestingly, for anyone else who studied, who's a bit of a study of history, this is the same era in which Milton Friedman's theories on free market economics also took off. So CSR, how it traditionally manifests, is via a dedicated function of a business focused on areas of social and environmental impact. This function is then funded through profits generated in other areas of the business. Respondents who spoke positively of CSR felt that it can create tremendous amounts of social impact, especially in large-scale businesses whose profit margins enabled significant amounts of funding to, mit to be committed. So think Microsoft and the Gates Foundation, um, whose enormous philanthropic contributions are being funded by the profits generated through Microsoft. Um, Jeff Bezos from Amazon, love him or hate him, in 2020 he also donated about a billion dollars to climate change and environmental sustainability, uh, social enterprises, causes and movements. Respondents who were less optimistic on CSR felt that it sometimes manifests as a bit of a tick on a scorecard or a company annual report. It's, it's done because they needed to be done. It had to be seen to be done. And it was forced onto people to have to do this. So, for example, buying carbon offsets was, was given as an example of people who, who think that this might be a bit of a purpose-washing exercise for businesses. You know, it outsourced the need for the business to be carbon neutral in their own operations by saying, look at this other area that we did good in. When I probed these interviewees on why they felt CSR wasn't the same as being purpose driven, the response was that CSR was sometimes felt as being too far away from the people whom the business directly serves and make and make money from. So, for example, a mining company who buys their office stationery from a local charity via a CSR function. Is this demonstrating purpose or is this performative? The further the distance between a business and the people they serve, the more the business can run the risk of inadvertently contributing to negative social impact. So, for example, what I mean here is, you know, a business that doesn't have any closeness or proximity to, say, serving um, the Bangladeshi a water well situation, for example, might just think, oh, well, let's just give money to digging more wells. That's a good thing, isn't it? And they're not realizing because they're not in that space, the negative impact of what they're actually supporting. So 
I don't feel that I was able to reach a definitive conclusion on the function of CSR and whether it was considered to be genuine examples of demonstrating purpose or not. However, I did get a sense of evolution in this space. So businesses that are embracing B Corp certification or businesses that are participating in initiatives such as the Shared Value Project in which uh, this is a an approach in which businesses want to procure from social enterprises or charities to to provide a service that they value but the service that's provided also supports a local uh, supports a, a local good or a social impact area so what i felt was that businesses really are starting to look at how purpose can move beyond just a csr tick box function one other area of conversation that I want to highlight in this particular episode is the impact of cause marketing on audiences. So, and, and this is with regards to managing expectations. So I've already covered in the previous episode that people want to engage with businesses that are purpose-driven. However, a few respondents, especially the ones that work in not-for-profit sectors, share some of the downsides to this. At a macro level, they felt that the volume of course marketing can actually start to create a bit of a distraction for audiences and contribute to donor fatigue. So this is a big challenge for not-for-profits and for charities who rely on donations as a major source of revenue. Private businesses with large marketing budgets who, that they can invest in promoting their purpose may actually have this adverse effect that they're crowding out the market for not-for-profits and charities, forcing those charities to invest even more marketing dollars on fundraising efforts. And I experienced a bit of a microcosm of this dichotomy during my interviews in which one respondent who regularly gives to a charity really lamented the fact that they kept getting these glossy flyers from charities thanking them for their donation and sort of wondering whether or not that money could have been spent elsewhere. They were just like, stop sending me this stuff, keep that money, go do something good with it. But then another interviewee who is a fundraising um, expert and is employed by a charity to do this basically said they had to do it because that was how they could increase donor retention. That If they didn't do this, people would forget or they would become less loyal as a result. Another observation shared with me was the negative impact of audience expectations when it comes to cause marketing. So, for example, in Australia, following the devastating 2020 bushfires, some businesses, some business owners were publicly shamed on social media for not publicly announcing that they were contributing to bushfire fundraising efforts, even if those owners had made private donations. So, ironically, this creates this weird Again, just a position where for a small, but or hopefully small, but potentially vocal percentage of the community, talking the talk is more important than walking the walk. It is more important to be seen to be doing something than actually doing something. Again, not everyone, but I'm just saying that that was one of the observations that was shared. So... Unfortunately, a lot of these debates often play out in the public arena as well, which detract and distract from the effort of actually delivering positive social outcome. So then, how can we genuinely demonstrate purpose? 
Throughout all my interviews and my research, I got the sense that there really isn't a consistent, clear methodology on how to genuinely demonstrate purpose beyond a simple objective. Walk the walk. But there's a few bits of perspectives and nuances I can draw together to share. So first, the value of integrity, which is basically what would you do when no one's watching and when there's no marketing campaign being run? I thought this question was really useful in separating the concepts of marketing from action. And it asks businesses and individuals to just self-assess whether or not they are purpose-driven. Because if we adopt this mindset, then marketing could really just be seen as a communication strategy as opposed to a promotional one. And this approach, this idea of saying, all right, would we do this if we weren't talking about it? That mindset could also potentially minimize the risk of businesses being called out. The second perspective is that some measurement is better than none. So as long as the business is genuine about improving that measurement, improving impact and focusing on outcomes, then just you know, starting somewhere is, 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 is sufficient. So for businesses starting their transition towards becoming more purpose-driven, just, just start anywhere and then iterate as you go. Don't, don't focus on being precise and getting it right. Just try and measure something and then get more precise as you go through time. Some respondents continue to emphasize that the, the triple bottom line, a concept which was introduced in 1994 that balances people, profit, and planet, remains the recommended baseline for all businesses to report on as a starting point. So that's just as a, 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 an area to start measurement from. A third perspective is about individuals, with several respondents saying that we need individuals to also take responsibility in demonstrating integrity and purpose. That if you want to support a purpose or a cause, do it because you want to do it, not because it's something to share on social media. Again, would you do it if no one's watching? Just as we might call out a business for purpose washing, so too should we recognize that purpose washing can happen at an individual level. And finally, as the audience, we should be mindful not to be beholden to cause marketing alone. That there is value in us doing our own research to keep businesses accountable in situations where they may not be walking the walk. And to also demonstrate empathy for businesses who might be genuinely trying, but may have made mistakes along the way. So, and again, I just want to re-emphasize, re this is not a, not, um, a critique on cause marketing, but a brand, a broader ecosystem of the dynamics of cause marketing and the audience response and the education and how it communicates on these impacts. So with that said, are all purposes equal? Do all businesses deserve to have purpose? Is there such a thing as worthy or unworthy purpose? In my next chapter, I'm going to put on the devil's advocacy hat to challenge the respondents about this notion of whether all purpose is good.